Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are once again in this sweet season where we still have TCU basketball, we have TCU baseball, and we got TCU spring football rolling. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. I know when I first moved to Fort Worth, there were uh, landmark restaurants that everybody told me I needed to get to. You got to get to Risky's. You got to get to uh, Railhead. You've got to get to Angelo's. But one of the places, a Fort Worth staple there up, up there on the north side was Joe T. Garcia's. What if I told you you could get a free lunch at Joe T. Garcia's? Tuesday, April 9th, from noon until 1, Teen Life is offering an opportunity for you to get a free meal at Joe T. Garcia's. Our own friend of the show, Jeff McCain, is giving you a personal invitation for you to come and learn more about the way that Teen Life equips, encourages, and empowers teenagers to face life's challenges through support groups on their school campuses. I don't know about you, but I was kind of an idiot when I was in high school, and I could have used some more support around me, and I know how tough it is for kids these days. So Teen Life offers support groups in 20 school districts and 73 campuses, over 1,200 students a year that are served. So let me give you the down low here. Go to teenlife.ngo backslash lunch. Sign up for a free lunch. Give you an opportunity to learn more about this amazing group that goes out of its way to help and encourage junior high and high school students in the DFW area and beyond. teenlife.ngo backslash lunch, free meal, Joe T. Garcia's, April 9th. It's the best money that you could spend because it's not going to cost you anything. Jeff wanted me to tell you they're not going to arm twist you. It's not like a sales pitch for a timeshare. Just come and learn. Get a free meal. You can meet some other frogs. We'd love for you to support this amazing group that supports the Frogcast. Well, men, how are you doing tonight? Jeremy, Daniel, everything uh, holding up out there in Parker County? It's good, yeah. brother. It's well, good. We had, right some, we had some we had some rough we had some rough weather down here last night. If you if you had seen all the weather stuff up there in Illinois, we we had some bad hell over here in McKinney, but uh, over there in McKinney, I should say. But we didn't get hit out here in Parker County. I was I was thankful for that. But even if we were hit, I was at the TCU game last night. So the only thing I would have heard is the hell hitting the metal roof of Shulmire Arena. <laughs> Daniel, are you doing all right? Yeah, hanging in, just doing my thing, living the dream. Living the dream. That sounds like a good plan to me. Well, let's dig right in here. Jeremy, you said you were at Schulmeyer last night. The Frogs beat Nebraska. They advanced to the third round of the NIT. They're going to be hosting Creighton. It seems like teams from eastern Nebraska are making their way down here to Fort Worth. Frogs are right there one game away from going back to New York for the second time in three years. I know a lot of second-guessing now by fans about the, you know, should the committee have put them in? Is this proving that the Frogs should have been in the NCAA tournament? I'm going to say no, because you lose to Oklahoma State like that. You lose to West Virginia like that. I just uh, can't quite bring myself to say that. That said, they're putting on a pretty good show in the tournament, in the NIT tournament, and uh, they got a big challenge against uh, Creighton. Uh, Tell me what you've thought so far of these first two games in the way that the Frogs basketball team has been able to shake out here in the postseason. Well, the first game, you could you could tell definitely that the energy wasn't there. They were kind, of, and they admit admitted after that game against Sam Houston that they were still kind of in the shock of not being in the tournament. I think everyone felt that they were snubbed by the selection committee, and and that's hard to hard to play. I mean, I to be honest with you, the only time I've ever seen a team uh, just come out and play pissed off because they were snubbed for something was when TCU beat the crap out of Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl a few years ago. Uh, when they were left out of the playoffs. So we knew there was going to be some, uh, a little bit of non-energy from them, just going out there, going through the motions. And, and first maybe 10 minutes, it was, you were thinking, hey, the committee got it right. This is an NIT team. 
And later on, they finally realized how good of a basketball team they are uh, compared to Sam Houston, played well, uh, and, and really came into the last Knott's game against Nebraska. They they really opened up the game with it, good energy. Kevin Samuel was great down low, great in the paint, getting boards. Uh, the, the crowd, I'll, I'll give I'll give you this, the crowd at Texas – for their game, I can't remember who it was, but I know it was all over Twitterverse where they had something like 1,500 fans at the Irwin oh, Center. Oh, I think it was 1,300. I mean, like- it was horrible. Horrible. But I will give TCU fans credit because I think against Sam Houston, they actually had over 3,000. Last night, they had almost 3,500. And it was pretty good energy in, in, in the stands. And give Nebraska credit, they traveled well. Uh, I know there's a big alumni base in, in North Texas for Nebraska fans, and Nebraska fans, you know, they're not they're not like the the cocky fans. And when Texas Tech got in there, you know they wanted to make that place another Lubbock. Nebraska just good, wholehearted fans. It's funny because I was walking up to the arena, and they were just all taking pictures of Eamon Carter. I, I don't think any of them expected the Carter to be that nice of football stadium. And that's where everyone was kind of gravitating toward just taking pictures down there. But it was a good win. I thought, uh, thought the way they played against James Palmer in the first half was really, really good and set the tone for how they were going to play last night. Leaving him scoreless in the first half is really what the difference was. And we, we talked about it, uh, you know, the, the few specifics in the game, Bain just keeps just having a great, great junior season. I think he's got games like that where he can just go off and it doesn't seem like he misses anything. Kevin Samuel, as I mentioned earlier, was playing great. And really, you just have these seven guys that are all relying on each other and, and, and playing. And 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 really, the only guy, if I wanted, if I was to pinpoint anyone that's kind of struggled the last few games, it's got to be Noy. He hasn't, he hasn't played up to, up to the level that he's been capable of the whole, the whole time he's been on campus the last few games since Oklahoma state, it's really been tough for him, but two good wins so far. Uh, Creighton will be tough, but get that win. You're going to New York city for the second time in three years. And that's, it's not the NCAA tournament, but it at least is something to be proud of. Watching the game last night from, from Chicago where I'm getting ready to leave. It sounded as if there was a really healthy dose of Nebraska fans there. So while there were 3,500 people there in the stands, and you know they had a respectable showing against Sam Houston, what what percentage of the stadium of the arena last night do you think were Hornhusker fans? Uh, I would say that's pretty close. You know, close to a thousand. Um, I mean, they they like I said they traveled well and uh, they were loud. You had a a few go big red chants, and and what I saw it was was pretty funny because uh, it's the first time I've ever seen this, but. When when TCU plays at home, they'll they'll turn down the lights and they play a little little intro video. You got the sparks coming up from the little fire machines, whatever the heck they're called. That you see at concerts and stuff. So they're 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 getting the stadium rowdy, getting the the introduction going. Well, in the NIT, I, I start I looked up and saw on the on the big screen that they were playing Nebraska's pump up video. And then they come out and, and Nebraska fans cheered. And the last two games for TCU, they don't turn off the lights or anything. They still play the intro, but they don't use all the fireworks and glitz and everything else, the fire. And it, it's just kind of, it. you know, you have that NIT. You're, you're in the NIT and it's, you're hosting, but I guess it's not supposed to be too much of a home field advantage, I guess. I don't really know. It's just, it. that's just something that I've never seen another team's 
pump up video introduction video playing at Showmire Arena before uh, before basketball game. You know, I was thinking back to the run that they had in 17 when they won when they won the NIT. You know, the Frogs played that game. It was a second round game they played in I at Iowa yeah. in, in in an Iowa City. And I I thought the Frogs were a higher seed in that, but the home the higher no. seed just hosts. Iowa, That's what it is Iowa, all the way to New yeah. Okay. Okay. So that means they're going to get you know the three home games and then get a chance to go to New York. Now you know if if they win, you know who they have a chance of playing in the first round in New York. Yeah, Texas. Texas. You know, I don't know a fan base that is more down on their coach than than Texas. <laughs> I, you know, their their attendance shows that when you get you know twelve hundred people and that's a generous headcount for a for a home postseason game. I don't care how much of a disappointment it was for Texas. You, if you're Texas, you should get a bigger crowd than that. It'll be interesting to see if we can if the Frogs can go three and zero against the Longhorns this year, especially being able to do that up there in Madison Square Garden. That would be pretty cool. Oh yeah, and. and th- I think they're motivated right now. I think, like I said earlier, when, once they got the – they just know that they can't do anything about not playing the NCAA tournament. So even Dixon said it last night, we need to just go out and the, the way we do that is go out to win win games and to, to get rid of that sour taste. And that's really what's motivating them right now. Uh, it, it was it was a fun game to watch last night. They, they really played – Nebraska doesn't get a lot of credit, but it was. I, I like Nebraska's team. They're kind of like TCU right now. Played, you have a lot of guys injured, had to play with seven guys in the rotation. I thought Kendrick Davis had a great game last night, and I think the point where uh, Roby bench pressed him off, <laughs> bench pressed Kendrick Davis off of him. I think Kendrick had a little bit of a flop in him too when that happened. But I, but I do think uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that. <laughs> I think that did give uh, TCU a little bit of a spark going away. You know, Bain and Noy hit some. Uh, big shots and actually after Kendrick had gotten that flagrant two against him he comes back and hits a three-pointer while getting fouled and misses the free throw so he could have got a four-point play out of the whole deal but he he had 12 points off the bench so he he played pretty good and it was it was scary early on because you had Alex and, and Kendrick both pick up two quick fouls early in the game and those are your two main ball handlers and one could only think what it would have been like if neither one of those guys would have been able to play. I guess you would have had Bain bringing up the ball or uh, RJ the whole time. And I, I know Alex gets a lot of criticism uh, you know, on the board. And I've always said, he reminds me of Kenny Hill, you've got to take the good with the bad. But last night I thought Alex played pretty well. He, he took control of the ball, took care of the ball, and uh, didn't really – didn't really put up a lot of wild shots. He did hold the ball a couple times all the way down uh, to the final final seconds of the shot clock. But overall, I thought he played pretty well. And, and I think it was a collective effort last night for them to get that win. You know, since we're on the subject of basketball, let's go ahead and dip into the NCAA tournament. Did you catch any of the Duke-UCF games? I don't know that I've ever felt worse for a fan base in basketball right there on the edge and knocking off the big dog than, than UCF just having that game, you know, Zion Williamson charged against Taco, Taco fall. That's just, I just want to say that that was a terrible call. Uh, Fran Fraschella, who calls a lot of big 12 games says if it was December, that is called a charge. But since it's Duke in March, it is called a block. 
So I was I, I was feeling for UCF fans. I know some of us don't have a lot of uh, uh, sympathy for UCF for a variety of reasons, but my goodness, I thought they played their hearts out against Duke, and they they had that game. They had that game, but you have to you have to steal it from Duke because if it's a toss up yeah. game against Duke, you're going to lose, especially in the tournament. But I felt so bad for UCF fans. The only thing I heard about the game, I didn't watch it, but I did hear that Dawkins went off for thirty points as well, thirty thirty two points. And apparently he had a chance to tip it in at the buzzer and it just rolled out um, for the loss. So I I guess, that you know, if you're playing Duke by one point, there is some madness to this tournament. But, you know, it is what it is. Duke, Duke prevails. They always find a way. It's just like the Yankees of the early aughts. You score five runs against the Yankees, they're going to score six. You score eight, they're going to score nine. You score 10, they'll score 11. They just always seem to find a way to win when it counts. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. That is that is Duke in March. So who is going to be shocked when it's Duke, Kentucky, and uh, Virginia in the Final Four? Nobody. You know, Carolina has to play Kentucky, I guess, in the grade eight. But, yep, that's just what it is. So I, I would not bet against Duke going here, going forward. Although – there's going to be a lot of teams breaking down tape of that UCF Duke game, and unless you got a uh, you know Johnny Dawkins boy's son, uh, you know Johnny Dawkins son on your team and a seven foot six center, uh, yeah. I don't know that you're going to be able to replicate that. That's yeah, finding a seven six guy that's going to be really tough to replicate. I you know just looking at the tournament, I haven't watched a whole lot of games. I've seen the scores, and I'm kind of shocked with the way the Big Twelve is performing because we we talked so much during the year how it was the best conference without argument in the in the nation and you had so many teams that were vying for that NCAA tournament bid and not all we we could all sit here and, and talk about how TCU should have been in we saw stories coast to coast how here's five teams that should have been in and nine out of 10 times TCU was the top team everyone wrote about that should have been in but man, the Big Twelve is really laying an egg right now. They Texas Tech's the only team that makes it to the Sweet Sixteen. Kansas gets blown out. Baylor gets run out of the gym by Gonzaga. Uh, Kansas State. I mean, really. I mean, I, I, and I know they didn't have Dean Wade, but you're talking about a conference champion that loses. I mean, you're you're upset by Iowa uh, State. Yeah, Iowa State. So I mean, not a really good look for for the big 12 right now, Texas tech is really the only hope. And I think all along, it, you know, even when we discussed it on here, talking about big 12 standings, big 12 tournament, I think every one of us always felt that at least I did, no matter what Kansas state did. And I think you agreed with me, Jeff, that no matter how good Kansas state looked or Iowa state went in the big 12 tournament, we all thought that Texas tech was still, the top team in the conference and and right now they're proving it they're they're their only team remaining and do you root for texas tech because of the big 12 and I, I will say this 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 is what's funny they were announcing the scores from the ncaa tournament last night and he announced the texas tech score and i was expecting a chorus of boos but people actually clap for for uh texas tech i was surprised they didn't clap as much for OU because I think people felt TCU should have got in over OU, but I was I was honestly surprised that that TCU fans cheered for Texas Tech after knowing that they got a win. So that's the uh, 
that's the crown jewel for the Big 12. Got to keep winning, make the conference look good. SCC, SCC, SCC. <laughs> we don't get any credit for Texas Tech being good. That's just my uh, my two cents. Saying that, I'll probably cheer for them, but we don't get any credit for it. So I guess it's the catch twenty two. As a TCU, I would fan, give a golf you... clap. I wouldn't explode. <laughs> I would give a golf. Clap. So you would you wouldn't openly cheer if Texas Tech somehow made it to the championship? Would you cheer for them? Let me put it this way. All right, I'm gonna. This is full confession here. So if anybody wants to document this and hold it against me, that's just fine. I find it easier to root for Oklahoma in the football playoff than I would Texas Tech and to get to the Final Four. Because if Oklahoma, you know, wins a national title or, or gets to the title game even in football, it doesn't it doesn't change anything. I mean, right. it, it might be good for the conference. No, Oklahoma fans, they, they have a, a recognition. We understand where things fall, They've and I don't already, mean that yeah. in a derogatory way. If Texas Tech got to the Final Four, I mean, can changes you imagine? Perception. It, oh, it changes everyone's. It's the same thing if Baylor gets to the Final Four. They yeah. would camp out on that for twenty years and lift lift that lift that up as like the greatest badge of honor, scoreboard forever. TC hasn't won a, a tournament game in forever. This is what happens. I mean, like I don't think I could stomach that. Oklahoma winning a national title in football. I'd, I'd be okay with that. I don't think it would ultimately change a whole lot. And in some things, it might help the conference. But, man, if a ba- if Texas Tech won the national title in basketball, or even if they got to the Final Four, we would just be – they would – those fans would be more insufferable na- th- than they are now, and it's really hard to top what they are right now. That's that's my <laughs> summary of that situation. Hey, Do you agree with that, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and I'm going to duck my head when I say this – you'd probably deal with some less than smart TCU fans as well that are pissed off because Chris Beard and Jamie Dixon have both been at their schools for the same amount of time. <laughs> so, Oh, well, a- no, those fans need to knock it off because <laughs> Tech, Tech has been better at basketball than TCU for forever. I mean, like, I do I do we have to remind everybody we went 0-18 in the Big 12? We had this discussion last night, me, Drew, and yeah, Josh Harvey. What, what Jamie yeah. Dixon inherited is just, like, one notch above what Les Miles is inheriting. Yeah, you're you're basically right. Yeah, I know. I and, Oh, I know. I, I know I'm a homer, and I also – I'm also kind of an optimist. I hate to point out the negative – but no, we the frogs didn't make the tournament this year. They only had they have seven Division One scholarship players. I don't care who's formally on scholarship. They have seven Division One scholarships on, on you know seven Division One players on scholarship, and they're one game away from getting to New York in the NIT. That's going to be a good, that's going to be a great accomplishment. Plus. I think they're going to be loaded up for next year. You know, you got yeah. all these people coming back, and this is a slow rebuild. I think I think in some ways, making the tournament last year, I mean, they earned the tournament berth last year, but if, if that immediately means, oh, if we don't get the tournament, it's a wasted season. If the Frogs go to the NCAA tournament every other year, that's really good. Now, there'll come a point where they need to be able to do it every year, but Frogs will in the NIT this year, they'll probably be in the tournament next year, and that's a really good spot for a program that was the freaking doormat of the big 12 i mean like we were bad in the yeah. mountain west and then we got invited to the big 12 in basketball we were awful so it's essentially like kansas coming out and being within the top four or five the next five or you know the next three years in football maybe not top four or five but top six 
where they've been the doormat of the of the Big 12 for so many years, if they come out and win eight or nine games, people from all over the country are going to be talking about Les Miles and the job he's done at Kansas. And I, I don't think – I think last year, you obviously, when you make the NCAA tournament, it's going to be great for your program. And when you don't continue that success as part of that rebuild and you take – uh, you get to the NIT tournament, it is considered a step back. But when you go back and look at just how we had the discussions in football, when you had so many questions at quarterback and so many injuries on the football field, it, it's it's tough to win basketball when you only have seven guys. It really is. Uh, eight guys, if you have eight guys, those precious minutes could be the difference of a kid being winded out of his mind, not being able to get good looks, good shots, play defense. Just and, and really them not even be able to have live practices. There was a few times where they couldn't even practice live a few weeks because they didn't have enough guys to suit up and do it. And so when you don't get that kind of action in practice, it's tough to uh, replicate that in a game. And I, I'm not going to blame injuries on the reason why TCU faltered this year. I think it was a – combination of uh, some coaching bad play by some individual players uh just lack of depth on the bench i mean just a number of reasons but for them to still in in you know if you look at jamie dixon's career at tcu he's won 20 years every year he's been there 20 games every season he's been there and if you were to ask a tcu fan hey would you like to win 20 games every year they would and sprinkle in an NCAA tournament. I think they would be very happy. But the society we live in now, people want instant gratification once they receive that. And if it doesn't happen back to back, just like it does in football, everyone wants TC to make it to the Big 12 championship every year because Gary Patterson has had a history of having good football teams. And now they're putting that kind of pressure on Jamie Dixon. Yeah, he makes a lot of money, but for crying out loud, this damn team was 0-18 in conference less than five years ago. So just, just take that with a grain of salt and be, be a little bit happy with where the team's going right now. To quote Mike Gundy, where are we at in society? So I'm going to go. Uh, ahead and we could have that. a completely different podcast about that. Cause I know we got some millennials on our board. We've got some. Hey some now. Other, hey now. Yeah. I don't care. Don't be knocking Daniel like that. <laughs> you know, it's, Anyway, you're right. We could have a totally another discussion. I did you see Tom Izzo yell at that kid from his team? Oh my gosh, I'm so offended that he yelled at that kid like that. Did you see what the? Did you see that the kid that got yelled at basically said, "That's my coach, and I wasn't doing my job." Yeah, that's what's funny because you know, I'm not. I was just joking about the millennial thing. By the way, I know we have some, but I, I, I don't. I don't care. I mean, I don't like. I, I don't like. I, always, I don't like uh, some other. I don't get political. I don't like people from every generation i'll put it to you that way there's there's someone from every generation that i don't like i'll put it to you you know way. i always say that uh, when people say that kid grew up get, always getting a trophy and i'm like yeah it's because his 43 year old dad that never won one bought it for him so blame yeah. the old guy not the kid <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm like why are we blaming the 12 year old i mean somebody's gonna hand it's him not, a trophy it's like you fault. want an ice cream cone yeah i mean <laughs> don't blame him blame the 43 year old dad that's still wearing his like 87 Arlington Heights JV jacket. So when I saw the story with Tom Izzo and the basketball player, I immediately thought of coach Patterson because 
Coach Patterson doesn't coddle those kids. He doesn't call you go out to a practice. You're going to see Coach Patterson the way he is on a Saturday going up and down the sideline. He's he's very active. He's high energy, up tempo offense, and he's in the middle of it all. And there's probably been a few times where he's been really, really upset with a few players and let his emotions get to him. But those players know that's how he coaches. And they respect that about him. And that's why you have so many kids, even guys that have been gone since it was his first year, they still come back to the program. They come back for their alumni deal. And they want to be around that because players like that, they grow up to be, you know, if you read the stories and if you've lived through that, I know I had hard coaching when I was younger and it's, and it's made me better. It's made me be able to take certain things. And uh, that's, that's a, testament of a lot of those good coaches out there they they they're not only building up players they're building up men and that's part of the reason you know what gary sells to these recruits when he's trying to get them on campuses and to their families we're not just trying to take a player we're trying to build a man so i i totally agree i i knew that was going to come out of that whole michigan state deal i can't stand the way it got blown up by some people i mean it's that's where we are again in today's society. It's got to get blown up, but I'm glad. I'm glad that Tom Izzo didn't back down, and I'm really glad that the player really stood up and said that you know that's my coach. So good, good stuff all the way around. You know, every coach that yells at you is not Bobby Knight about to headbutt you. I think that's the problem. Every coach that yells at you is not Bobby Knight. So or or Mike Leach who's going to put you in a shed or Woody so, Hayes. I mean, or or Woody Hayes, yes. Or or Woody Hayes. So, all right, moving right along. Let's get into some baseball here. Just a couple quick things before we get into football. Man, frogs look good minus the Saturday game against the Longhorns. So the frogs take the series two to one. Uh, you know they they win the first game three to two in dramatic fashion, coming back and, and winning that game in the ninth on a walk off. Saturday, not so much. The Frogs lose 13-1, to but then on Sunday, they come back and they, 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 they come storming back in the eighth, and they win 12-8 to in order to take this game. And, you know, I know it's early. I know that the Big 12 game season is really just getting started. This is Texas' second series. Uh, but, you know, to be able to have that game lead on Texas and know that you got the tiebreaker with them already to, to start Big 12 play, I think that's really good. One play we have to talk about. Johnny Riser climbing the wall to rob the Longhorns of a of a home run that would that we didn't know it at the time, but it saved the game. It, it ended up becoming kind of a, a game saving play in the middle of the of the game. J- Jeremy, did you see did you see him climb that wall? Did you see him put a dent in the cushion yeah, out there? I mean, what a ridiculous play! I mean, like that is. I'm going to date everybody here. You know who that reminded me of? Uh, no. Kirby Puckett. Oh, you remember yeah. Kirby Puckett yeah. playing in the old uh, Hubert, H. Hunter, Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome where they had basically a, a trash can out there in center field, and he would go up and reach up over that trash can bag and uh, and rob people of home runs. But Riser climbing that wall and, and ripping the padding, that was amazing. That I mean, if, if that wasn't on SportsCenter, it should have been. I don't know. I don't watch ESPN unless it's for games. But that, that was an amazing play that I think was kind of the signature – of the frogs being able to, to gut out a win, uh, uh, you know, not only in that game but in that whole series. So frogs frogs look good against Texas minus that game on on Saturday. So that, I think I think that puts them in a in a good position going. Yeah, forward. to to reminisce on that on that play that that great catch. You ever seen that movie Little Big League? 
Okay, no, so I there's got to be someone out there that's listening that's seen this movie. When I saw that catch, it reminded me of this movie where the, it's the kid. He takes over the Minnesota Twins because his granddad owned it. His granddad passed away, so he left everything to the kid. The kid was like a baseball genius, knew everything about baseball, so he decides to make himself a manager. It's a great, stupid movie, but I'm, it's so old. I didn't watch it two weeks ago or anything like that. But anyway, so so <laughs> the guy, the guy's hero, this old this old veteran and this veteran baseball player, he's up to bat. He hits this long bomb. And it's going back, and they show Ken Griffey. It's the real Ken Griffey in this in this movie, and he's just running. He's running, running, running. Just right before it goes over the wall, Ken Griffey climbs the wall and makes almost an identical catch. So watch watch Little Big League, like YouTube it or whatever. Every freaking thing's on YouTube now, and that's, that's what that catch reminded me of. It was like a, a cinematic catch, if you will, Jeff. Just indulge me, if you will, on this. Oh, I'm going to indulge you on it. It's a cinematic catch. That was a that was a great moment. Well, you know, it, what I really wanted was I know this is kind of going to go in reverse here, but when he made that catch, I wanted I wanted Wild Thing to come <laughs> on like Major League, where he can just kind of strut back in, and everybody in the stadium will just kind of get up and and sing the song, and the the guys that are on the grounds team they just kind of do the dance with it. That was that was what I wanted to have happen. And I you have to give a shout out to the the social media team because they that that night they had a guy out there that was throwing tape on the rip in the cushion in the outfield and being able to cover that up as uh, is is a way of kind of communicating what that play was. I thought that was great. So it was it was such a great play that people in Kansas City forgot to understand that TCU won that game, and they they left the poor star telegram out to dry. Oh my gosh! Oh, so th- I Drew, saw if you're that listening, headline. I'm sorry, brother. Sorry, ha- Drew. Ha- yeah, Drew. Drew took so much crap over that because his story literally says TC wins the game, and then in the headline it said something about squat didn't score enough runs. I was like, oh my gosh, we had to give him a hard oh. time the last two days for it. I get that newspapers have deadlines and they can't wait on a game and. You know, a game that you think's over, you know, nine times out of ten, maybe it is, and you just kind of run with it. But, oh, that I felt so bad. I mean, that's a – Pete, you can dog on the Star-Telegram. Most of it is uh, is earned. Is, some of it is earned. But there's no such thing as local media anymore. So that's, that's the problem of a situation yeah. like that. And I understand it. I mean, that's – Market forces have created that. That's that's what people actually pay for. So that's what it is. If you don't, if you, uh, that that's what it is. As as a capitalist, that's what it is. So the thing is that uh, it just looks bad. <laughs> it just looks really really bad. So yeah, I felt bad for for the start time. Drew, we love you. We'll have you on the show one of these days, and you can explain to us why that happens. <laughs> I think you should write a story like that for a baseball recap and just purposely typo of the the wrong score that way you know drew won't be alone jeff take one i'll see what team. i can do i mean i can write Dude. a story because i'll probably I, i'll probably have about a good five typos pretty pretty often because most of the time i'm writing stories when i'm halfway asleep in the first place so i i i can't i can't pick on drew but i can pick on star telegram i will do that you can pick on me the the random story that i write for you 
I'm either doing it like sitting on my couch watching my four year old, or the last one or two stories ago, I wrote it on my treadmill on the treadmill. I go in early in the morning <laughs> and I typed it out on my phone on the treadmill. So if you if you read my stories and and have you know, and I usually try to I try to get them in quick and sometimes too it's my own detriment. So I am not a writer if you haven't noticed. I just pitch in where oh, where good. needed with the boss. You write sermons, so I do. I'd rather talk for an hour on a topic that is confusing than write a game write up because I'm just not a great writer. So <laughs> how I got through seminary is beyond me and beyond my professors, by the way. But I'm not a writer. <laughs> now, if but you want to give me a if you want to, if you would like me to talk for an hour on twenty uh, first uh, century visions of Reformed Christology, dude, I could talk about that all day. But if you want me to write a game recap, I'm, <laughs> I'm like paralyzed in fear. So. <laughs> well, be good. Oh man, I, I, we're going to get into some more baseball talk, especially as the season continues to unfold and it becomes the only thing that we have going for us. But uh, yeah, big win against the frog, uh, fr- big win against the Longhorns. Frogs take down the horns. I just wanted to slip that in there. So the frogs take that series two to one. Uh, good stuff coming up there as, as the season continues to unfold. Well, let's pivot. It was a good, win. good, good win. I mean, they they've done the rankings. I mean, they they're up to number twenty in the coaches' poll now, and. Baseball America, I think, has them at 23. If I remember, someone posted that today. Um, so that's, you know, a pretty good pretty good jump up in the rankings. That, that's what you get for a good win. Yeah, I think it's 20 and 23. Yeah, taking that series against Texas is good. Man, they swept LSU. I mean, this is a really good te- Texas team that they beat. And to be able to beat them and to be able to, to come back twice and beat them late in the game, I think that does wonders for the confidence of this ball team moving forward. I know we got some young guys. I know there's there's some experience that's got to, as Coach Patterson would say, they got to grow up. But taking two or three from Texas, the same team that swept LSU, that is a really good series. That's a good thing to put on the, that's going to be a good resume builder come time to uh, get ready to see who hosts and who plays where. So it'll be, that that that's good uh, for the for the program moving forward. All right, let's switch over to that, which I really just want shot into my veins, which is TCU football. Uh, we, we, we're going to talk about spring football, where we're at on that. Uh, we got some recruiting. We're going to dig into Coach Patterson's view on the transfer rule. Uh, Jeremy, you're the guy that's there. You're the guy that's got some people on the inside. Give us two things that our listeners and even our readers might not know that's leaking out about spring football. Maybe it's a, a reoccurring theme. Maybe it's a position. Maybe it's someone that is stepping up that uh, we didn't see coming. Or maybe it's a guy that we thought was going to be good that looks like he's going to be great. Give us two things from spring football that we didn't know before we got on this show tonight. Man, that's tough because I've been trying to keep everyone as informed as I can. Uh, I mean, it was mentioned by Coach P last week that Jalen Rager is out for the spring. He's getting some things cleaned up, and he just goes onto the long list of players that aren't practicing this spring. Uh, and and they did that because they wanted to have him ready by the fall. If we remember the Cheez-It Bowl, everyone knows that Jalen wasn't 100% in that game. He was limping around, and that's that's what it is. It's it's his ankle, so he'll get that cleaned up and uh, you know just, just be ready to go you know, for the fall. Uh, I don't know of anything else, man, to be honest with you. Oh, I will say that I didn't really know Esteban Avila was working at right tackle until the other day when Coach Patterson told us. Uh, When I was first out there, he was working at right guard behind Wes Harris. 
And I'm trying to find out who's working right guard right now because Wes Harris isn't practicing. And Vila has moved to right tackle from what Coach Patterson said, and he seems to be impressing him pretty well. So that's two things that we didn't know. Well, man, you asked me that we didn't know. There's there's really nothing that I could think of right now that's going on in the spring that, that I haven't mentioned on the board that we haven't discussed or talked to Coach Patterson about. It's It's been really one of those springs where – Younger players get a lot of action, and, and Coach Patterson really doesn't build up a ton of younger players unless there's just no way around it. Tay Barber last year when Tay came in and really had a, a good uh, spring camp, his true freshman season, and he's really been high on Nook Bradford so far this year. I think I think uh, he's impressing them, has the ability to play free or strong safety. There's just a lot of kids right now that aren't going through spring ball that by the time fall, I'll I'll say this, I don't think they're even going to release a spring depth chart, post-spring depth chart, because there's not really Oh my gosh, some of these guys on our board are going to lose their mind. That's just my personal, because they didn't release one last year because they had the same thing. That's just what I think, personally, my opinion is going to happen is that that they won't release one just because – you have so many players. And, and the funny thing is, I asked Coach Patterson the other day at his post-practice presser, I said, how are you guys doing health-wise? And he said, oh, we're actually pretty decent, blah, blah, blah. And then he's he'll say a certain position, but he'll say so-and-so's not going here. So-and-so's not going here at this position. And so it was some other position that he had discussed. I can't even remember. And I finally – I didn't interrupt him, but I said, Coach, I thought you said your guys were healthy. You've listed about 20 guys that aren't practicing. He's like, well, you asked me since practice started, are we healthy? And we've been pretty healthy so, so far. So the good news out of that thing is I'd heard that Montreal Wilson got dinged up a little bit one practice, but he was out there uh, after a day of rest. So that's that's a really good sign, knowing that he could get through that. But we heard from Coach Patterson talk about Brandon Bowen being out, and that's that's a player who just – Man, I just feel bad for Brandon because he just always has dealt with injuries since he's been on campus. I mean, honestly, we we all expected this big 6'5", 260-pound athletic defensive end to come in and, and just set the world on fire. He was a top 10 defensive end in the country out of the 16 class. Everyone was doing backflips, even the guys that can't even jump off the ground. They somehow were able to do backflips when Brandon Bowen didn't go to Baylor because of the scandal and decided he wanted to come to TCU and everyone was just expecting great things, but he's, he's battled some uh, physical injuries. And when you have those physical injuries, sometimes it's tough to come back mentally. And, and that's been a part of it as well, but it, it's kind of sad to, to hear that because it's a position of, uh, a, of no depth right now. You, you really don't have any depth at defensive end, but it's promising to hear about guys like Adam plant and, and O'Shawn math is still doing good. And, uh, it, it, it seems like no matter who you have on defense, you're, you're still going to play pretty good. But, uh, Tay Barber continues to do well. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else. He, he mentioned John Stevens was, was playing. That well. was what I wanted to bring up. You said on the board that John Stevens is playing opposite of Jalen Reagan yes. now. Yeah. Um, it, it, is he healthy? Is he coming along? Yeah, he's, he's going to be able to make an impact this year. The, the thing I've heard about John is what they're doing when he's running one-on-ones 
or they're running past Skelly, they're making sure Jeff Gladney's on them because they want Jeff to work his butt as much as they can. Just make make sure that he is showing him a top-rated Big 12 cornerback. And it's pretty cool that you have basically the top guy on, on the same team that can give you those reps and he can give you pointers. This is what you're doing. This is what you need to do. You want to beat a coverage. This is what, how you got to get your leverage. And that's pretty much what they've been practicing with is, is Jeff on, on John and when they do one-on-ones especially. But I think that will help John. TCU's lacked the, the big, tall outside receiver. Really, I know, I know John DeArce was a strong receiver, but really it's been since Josh was here that TC's really had a guy that could just go into the end zone and out jump everyone for a football. And that's what you had with Josh. I mean, your Trevon is out there throwing jump balls and Josh is making them look like a Heisman trophy quarterback on some place. Cause he's able to haul those in, but uh, that's what TCU's offense needs. And, and I think so far, John seems to be doing pretty well to valence hunts coming along a little bit better. Uh, Barkley, he, he's up, he's down. He's still learning everything, but the the main thing is they seem to have some some good receivers that could catch the ball. Quarterback, it's it's no question. Every one I've talked to, whether it's been off record, on record with Coach Patterson, everyone is at a consensus. The quarterbacks are not in day better than what they were last year. Say that again. The quarterbacks are not in day better than what they were last year. I was just bringing a little church to the podcast. Especially, That's especially the best news that we in can the spring. Hear. Especially in the spring. I mean, last spring, Gary even said it, that they really only had two quarterbacks. And what's funny is that we're not even talking about Mike Collins. I know. I mean, Mike's kind of the forgotten guy. Mike is the – that's why I'm telling you, they're not going to name a starter until he's back in there healthy. If I was to be – if, if I was – to bet my mortgage on a quarterback starting for TCU in the first game, number 16's running out there, Alex Delton. He's going he's gonna to be your starter. Not Matt Downing, the transfer from Georgia? No. No. <laughs> he might be the one signaling in plays, though. Fair enough. Now, you mentioned this. On our, on our board, I, I kind of wanted to hear our listeners – wanted our listeners to hear because you said it about a week ago that uh, – Justin had an escape from pressure that sh- with speed that kind of shocked yeah. even everybody that, that knew he was doing well. Tell us a little bit about that because that's the good news I want people to hear about. <laughs> yeah, and, th- and that's great to hear because, I mean, that's just, just another testament of the hard work Justin's putting in to get better. But apparently they were at practice, and, and really the, the, the quarterbacks, they're not getting hit. They're not getting hit, but they, they will still escape. They'll still run. And you're going to see a kid with a burst, especially a kid that's recovering from a drop foot condition when you really can't run. So apparently he got a a little bit of pressure and he just took off running, hit the seam, and everyone was kind of shocked and ooing and on about how quick he got out of there. And it was really the first time that everyone has seen him really take off and run that way. And it kind of gave you a little bit of – ease I guess you could say knowing that if we do have to put him in or if he gets this offense and he is the best quarterback 
we can feel comfortable in case he has to escape. Because that's what this offense is built around. If you guys haven't noticed, just go back and watch the recruiting that they've done. Uh, the type of quarterbacks they've gone after, they're going after dual threat guys. You know, with, with Boykin, he was a dual threat guy. Bram, he was a dual threat guy. You know, he's, he's a gunslinger type, guys that can run. Kenny, dual threat guy. And now you have Alex Delton coming in. Mike Collins, they all say he's fast. Players say he's fast, but we really didn't see that last year. Sean Robinson, dual threat guy. So they're going to keep going after those guys that are going to be able to use their feet as well as their arm. And in some cases, maybe a little bit better than, than they are passers. But it it's one of those, those uh, situations, a quarterback, where you want to make sure that Justin is able to run the offense completely. And if he's showing that he has a burst of speed out there, then that's a very promising thing that they now know that he can take off and run in case he does get pressure. Because if we're all being honest with ourselves, what we saw in the cheese at bow, yeah, he took a hell of a hit and stayed on his feet. He's a big kid. He should do that. He's six, six, probably two ten, two fifteen. He's a gigantic kid. But when he took off and ran, we were all like, Oh, that's why he wasn't playing. He couldn't run. So when you, when you have that kind of play and now you're hearing about what he's doing in spring camp, that that's very good to hear. That is good to hear. Um, real quick here to wrap up this part on spring ball. Do we have a spring game? Do we have a spring scrimmage? Do we have a come meet the frogs? Do we, what I'm, you know, there's a lot of, I'm a lot of it's April 6th. I want to, I want to hear what you, what's happening. Cause there's a lot of people that I'm, they're not experts, but they they think they're experts. And I might even be one of them that the TCU doesn't maximize a spring showcase in order to no. get people out, generate recruiting interest, get fans on campus, uh, let let guys get out there in their uniforms and, and run around. Uh, are we doing that? And why don't we do it the way other schools do? Uh, that's just not Gary style. I mean, that's, that's just him. He's, no matter what, you're you're never going to see TCU's game on on TV. ESPN's never going to be able to televise it. You're never going to have anything that's not scripted and very vanilla. I mean, the defense knows what the offense is going to do, but the defense still has to stop it. You know what I mean? It's you can you can know what a team's going to run at you all day long, but if you don't execute you're still you're still going to show your weaknesses and that's basically what the spring game is or spring practice is what I think that's what they'll call it as a spring practice but it's supposed to be on April 6th and screen, spring scrimmage I'm, I'm, I should say spring scrimmage not a spring practice I don't think they're even going to call it a game they will open up the stands let you come in someone <laughs> I got a good chuckle on the board because someone said uh you know, Coach Patterson starts that thing ten minutes early <laughs> because he's so paranoid about people. And and I've I've witnessed that myself. You walk up, you think you get you get told to show up at a certain time, and they're already running a bunch of plays. And what man, they yeah, that Coach Patterson decided to start early. It, he does that all the time. It is all the time. So yeah, I would tell anyone if it, if the if the game time starts at eleven, show up at ten thirty. Get there at 10.30, 10.15. Honestly, I'm just giving you a heads up. You want to get up there and see all the stretching? Get there early. 
don't don't show up at 11 thinking you're going to get a full hour's worth of uh, TCU football because you're not. Just take it from a guy that's been around the team for a long, long time. Show up early. Enjoy what you can because there's not going to be a whole lot of it. So, <laughs> all right, let's, and that's let's that's just how he is because I've I've asked him. I've had this discussion with him, and it, it seems it seems crazy. And and some people are going to say, yeah, that that kind of makes sense. Some people are going to be like, well, Alabama doesn't care. How can we? How come we can't? Nick Nick Saban doesn't care. How come Gary can't be like Nick Saban? Gary, he's he's real meticulous in the way he prepares, and he watches everything, everything, and that's why he loves when a, an opponent that they have on their schedule lets their spring game be televised because he immediately immediately starts that evaluation process. There might be like no one knows if if you're an outsider, Jeff, you know who Nook Bradford is. You've read about him. You've you you've watched his huddle. You know what he can do, but do you know if he could cover one on one? Do you know his weakness? Do you know what route constantly beats him? Do you know how he looks over the top? Do you know if he could cover vertically? That's the kind of things that get exposed in spring games. It's not. It's not that we know all the players. But what what if for some other you know, some, whatever reason you have so many injuries and now you know this Nook Bradford kid and they go they don't know who Nook Bradford is but they know he's going to start for TCU this this year and someone has taken notes if TCU for instance has a spring game on TV they watch spring game and they're like oh coach that kid got burnt left and right vertically we're gonna we're gonna line a slot we're gonna line up so and so over him we're gonna go vertically over. That's the way Gary looks at that kind of stuff. And we all know Jalen Rager is going to run vertically. I mean, there's there's nothing that is going to be gained from those teams that would watch that or people that sneak in and watch. There's nothing that's going to be gained from players we already all know, but the players that just the TCU fans know. And some TCU fans, not all of them are diehard football fans. They They all don't know some of these kids. That's the kind of that's the kind of stuff that you learn from those spring games. And I've had like I said, I've had this discussion with Coach Patterson. We've joked around about it, but we sat down, we had a serious talk about it, and that's that's what he said. You he said, Jeremy, you don't think that when I see Oklahoma spring game that I'm not watching every single person? It's it's not the plays that I watch. We all know we run vanilla plays. It's the personnel that's out there. That makes sense. That's under, I, I can I can digest that. I can understand that. All right, let's flip over to recruiting here in the last 10 minutes that we have. Uh, what's the latest on the recruiting trail? You posted a couple stories in the last few days. we got a big four-star defensive end that's got TCU on his radar. Got a few other folks. Just give us a quick hit rundown on where the Frogs stand on recruiting as they build the 2020 class. Did we, had, did we discuss Harrison's commitment last time? When's the last time we did a podcast? No, we, we didn't do one last week. We were up. We were. We didn't get a chance to do a podcast last week. I don't think we've discussed Harrison's commitment. Why don't you okay, share, so share got, a little bit about yeah, that real quick? Yeah, we got the news of Harrison committing, and I saw I saw uh, Harrison last week at uh, the the opening camp in Houston. I like his explosiveness, and and he is he is just like some of the other kids that they've recruited from uh, for TCU over the years at slot. They're they're kind of recruiting these 
these uh, Cavante Turpin types, not real big guys. Dijon's bigger than Cavante, but just the the quick choppy steps, real quick feet, and as soon as they catch the ball, they're shot out of a rocket. That's that's what it looks like. They just they they look so fast. And he's got extremely quick feet. And and he told me going into the camp that he wasn't gonna really be full speed because he he runs track as well. Uh, excuse me, but he wasn't able to go he he pulled his hamstring and wasn't able to go full speed at the camp. So just the limited action that I saw him have, he still looked very quick. He still ran very good routes, did really well in one-on-ones, and and really caught the ball extremely well. So that's that's a good get. I think they're going to be really good uh, at receiver with him. And it's kind of like the guys that they've recruited in the past with Darius Davis and and guys like Tay Barber and and uh, who, who else am I missing? Can't remember what slot I'm missing. I can't either. I don't really pay attention when we talk anyway, so I can't keep up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I can't remember the other guy. Um, just keep going. Think, tell me, tell us a little bit about some of the guys that we're that we're, that are on the um, the radar for the for the rest of the 2020 class that the frogs are in contact with right now. Jeff, can you hear me? Sorry, I had to take you off mute, man. Oh. You got me? Sorry. Technical <laughs> issues. Uh, did you other hear guys me? in the 2020? Yeah. Did, did you hear uh, me? Other guys. Okay, okay. Big targets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Guys, they, the, the guys they had down this, this past weekend, they had uh, Dominic Richardson. And if you looked, I put my crystal ball in for him tonight. I heard some really good things. Nice. Um, from some of my guys on his visit. When I talked to him, he had some really good things to say. Frogs need two running backs this class. They they feel really good about Dominic Richardson and Taj Brooks out of Mainer. Uh and and really if they get those two guys, they'll be they'll be done at, at running back recruitment. But Richardson, that was his second visit down there. Uh, he visited in late January for the Frogs' first junior day, so getting him down there again was was uh, a pretty pretty big thing for TCU. And I asked him, I said, "When are you going to be narrowing down things?" And he said, uh, it, "It's going to be soon." And he he really doesn't have a timeline. He said, "Either I'll be narrowing down my schools, or I'll just be making a commitment to that special school." So it it, it could be something that comes completely out of the blue. So. I, I really don't have a, a timeline for when the decision will come down, but I but I do feel good about TCU's chances. Daniel Jackson was another guy that came down, return visit, visited TCU in late February. He's another player that was down at the opening Houston, and I, I don't know where we had his. When I first saw his profile, we had him at six foot one ninety, and when I watched his huddle, I was like, "There's no way that kid's six foot. He's at least six two, six three. And when we all saw him down there in Houston, we all said, who is that kid? I looked at my roster, and sure enough, it's Daniel Jackson. He was at least a good 6'2", 6'3", at least 190, 195 pounds. He's he's a good-looking kid, strong receiver. Not real fast and quick like Harrison is, but he's got good enough speed. He got behind a few defensive backs and one-on-ones. But another kid that had a really good visit, uh, brought his mom and dad up there, I'm told that the mom is sewed on TCU. She really likes it. The one school that I would say that would be uh, 
probably a, a game changer would be Oklahoma just because his older brother, Mark, is a defensive end up there. So that that would be one school. But apparently TCU's checking all the boxes right now. They're they're making a really good impression. And I, he's another guy. I, I don't think he's going to be making a decision soon. They're going to leave everything up to him. Par- parents aren't going to pressure him to make anything quick. But uh, it, it seems like TCU's done a really good job recruiting not only him but, but his folks as well. Mitchell Walters uh, is another kid that he hasn't listed a top five, but he pretty much told me TCU is going to be in his top five, that he'll be coming back for another visit. Another visit. This kid measured in at 6'8", 292 when he came down. Woo, that's that is, a big boy. Yeah, that that's, that is a big kid. Uh, but he's, he's an offensive lineman that they've targeted that they feel could play outside. He, he – would fill a good need for them. They lose Lucas, they lose Anthony. So tackle is a, a very important position for this class. They've got to sign at least two, maybe even three for this class. They were heavy on tackles last year, and it's going to be heavy again this year. Blake now is a kid that I want you guys, if you haven't heard, Blake now, N-O-W-E-L, is a guy I want you to watch his huddle on. And it's, it's funny because – we really didn't know a whole lot about the kid. I was told he was visiting, but I was told at the same time that TCU probably wouldn't offer this early. They would offer later on in the process, but they went ahead and offered. I watched this film, and I'm thinking, man, this this kid has got some skills. He doesn't play in a, a big classification up there in Oklahoma, but he's another one of those tall, uh, lanky receivers. He has good speed, runs good routes. And what's funny, the the – how small this world is the quarterback and his huddle video is actually the grandson of my head coach and Jeremiah's head coach in high school. Uh, and I've talked, I've talked to my ex head coach about Blake and he said, man, he is such a good player and, and a player that he gives comparison to that is someone that I know extremely well. One of my good friends, but, uh, is Derek Doris who played at, Texas Tech, he still holds the Big 12 record for four touchdowns in a game receiving, and he played for the New York Giants. And and we all, from around here, we knew how fast Derek was. He was a 10-7, 10-6 kid in high school, and that's kind of how uh, my ex-head coach describes him. Not quite as fast, but says Blake can do everything on the football field. He's just a, just a great football player. And and really, they did a great, great job of uh, – with him and, and his family too. And, and I think before long with, especially with Iowa state and TCU offering, and I haven't, I haven't checked in the last few days, so they could have already offered, but I, I I'm betting anything that Oklahoma state and Oklahoma will come through with an, with an offer before too long. I have a feeling we're going to see a few more recruits between now and the end of the school year. The guys are going to be able to get out. They can start taking official visits in May. Is that correct? April, April, uh, April. Yeah. So we'll see how all of that unfolds. 2020 oh, class. And, uh, sorry. Ahead. One more kid. Caleb Medford from Henderson is another really, really good receiver. And this would be, this would be, if you look at Malcolm from when he was Arkansas state, he, he actually offered Caleb when he was a receivers coach at Arkansas state, he was one of the first guys that he really targeted. And, for him to bring him down. He was supposed to come down a few weeks ago for another junior day, but wasn't able to make it. Got him down here this time, this past weekend, and uh, offered him. And he's another kid that I know 
the the coaches are extremely high on right now. He's kind of a another do it all player, but it, if if you look at what you brought Malcolm Kelly on uh, on for, you talk about the uh, the the passing game. Coach Patterson talked about the other day the vertical game. Malcolm was part of Houston's offense a few years ago, and 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 really Arkansas State runs a similar style. So he's been around that that facet of a of a passing game, and it's already starting to pay dividends, according to coach. But it's really his recruiting, uh, the way he gets along with kids and families. And when you have an East Texas down that stand out like Malcolm Kelly was recruiting an East Texas receiver that he would be playing directly under, you've got to like TCU's chances with with him. So uh, another big target, and they're they're going after outside receivers. They're they're trying to get them. I mean, I'll give them credit. They've got at least a double-digit offers out to tall outside receivers. And if they don't have double-digit offers yet, they're they're at least recruiting that many guys that are the 6'3", 6'4", type that, that could really go up and get the ball. Anything else on recruiting before we wrap up here? No. no I don't think so. I think I've pretty much handled it. Sounds good. Well, we hit an hour here. We're going to try to keep this show to an hour religiously here. So let's wrap this good boy. Let's wrap this big boy up. Um, hopefully, the frogs will get a big win over Creighton. Hopefully, uh, TCU baseball stays hot. And uh, whatever uh, spring showcase you want to call it, please go out there and support the frogs on the sixth. Get get you a chance to see things. Get there early. That's my suggestion to you. So for Daniel and for Jeremy, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.